Well, friends, it's Ash Wednesday. It's kind of my favorite day of the year because it's named after me. Just kidding. I know it's not named after me, but I still like it because I hear my name all day, even though it's also a name, a day where we talk about our mortality and our sinful nature and we focus on those bad things about ourselves, but also the great redemption of Christ. And so we're kicking off this Lenten series with a new series called um, In His Steps. And I'm so looking forward to this journey with all of you. I want to invite you, if you don't already, to get your app out to follow along with sermon notes. We do have those available for you tonight. But we are going to dig into Scripture. Uh, And I would love for you to say this with me um, aloud. It's pretty long, but that's okay. We need to say Scripture out loud every now and then. So let's read this together, if you would. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. The word of the Lord, amen. So the news about Jesus being kind of a big deal was out. The word was out. And so John talks about the Greeks who came to want to see Jesus. And this was a big deal in itself. The Greeks were pagans. They hadn't been in the inner circle of all that was happening around Jesus. They weren't even allowed to go into the temple to worship. And we don't know the backstory of these Greeks, but what we know is that this moment mattered. It mattered so much that Jesus knew at the time that this happened, when the Greeks went to Philip and Philip went to Andrew and they both went to Jesus, that it was time for him to share the sermon that we are going to talk about tonight. And I want to dig into that. This sermon is one of the most paradoxical sermons that Jesus offers us. I'm sure it's one that once the disciples heard, their minds were totally blown, trying to wrap their minds around what Jesus was saying in it. This teaching of death and life. So I want to revisit these verses from John 12, 23 through 25. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If the grain doesn't die, it won't produce a harvest. Now, the disciples had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. They had heard all the sermons. They had experienced miracles. They had witnessed all the great works. But Jesus needed to bring this sermon, to bring it all together for them, to really understand what was about to happen to Jesus. 
And when we read this, it's easy to think, okay, I've got to die. I've got to die to follow Christ. That's where true life is. Mortality, our humanity, a day where we acknowledge our selfishness and our ego. But Jesus was first and foremost talking about himself. And in doing so, he, of course, was letting the disciples know, as well as us, that we have to do the same if we want to follow him. We, too, have to die in order to have life. But first, and only first, Jesus knew he had to die in order to offer this life, this life abundantly for all. And Jesus used a very strong word in that scripture, hate. You have to hate your life in this world. And it's very interesting how it's written. It almost implies that Jesus is saying he hated his life in this world, but that's not at all, I think, what he meant. And I think if we were to, if Ashley were to translate this in Ashley's interpretation, I would say it like this. Those who love the way life is lived in this world will most certainly never know true life. But those who hate and turn away from the way life is lived in this world will know true life forever. This word hate is really what that word is. Detest, turn away, have zero to do with it. When we take a look at Jesus as fully human and fully God, we see through his life in the scriptures that he never conformed to the world. Even when the religious leaders were like, you've got to do it this way, he didn't. When people were like, why are you talking to those people? Those aren't good people according to our standards. He still included them. And he didn't get sucked into the government ways. And there was a big, big reason for why he did not conform to this world. And it comes down to obedience. Obedience to the Father. Obedience to God's will and God's plan for his life. Now I want to tell you a story, a very sad story, about a dog who burned in a fire. The homeowner had left, and there was this crazy fire, but before he had left, he had told the dog to sit by his dinner pail. And that dog did. Even as the flames surrounded the dog, he never left the pail. And when the dog's owner found him, he was heartbroken. He was just tears streaming down his face. He said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. I always had to be careful of what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. This is the kind of obedience that Jesus followed. And this is the kind of obedience that Jesus calls us to follow as well. But it's so hard to wrap our minds around it. It's so crazy to think about that kind of loyalty, that kind of obedience, that even to the end of our life, through suffering, through pain, through fire, that we would still make the choice to obey. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite trilogies is Lord of the Rings. I know I've talked about Harry Potter, and I'm going to throw out my other favorite movies here, Lord of the Rings. So if you don't know about the story, I'm going to, he takes on of saving the world. And he has to save the world through destroying this ring. Now this ring was one of evil, and every owner that had ever had it was consumed with the evil that it carried. It would overtake them and destroy them eventually. And so here Frodo finds himself in this crazy mess of taking this ring back to the place where it was created to destroy it and save the world. 
And so that's what Frodo does. But in the midst of it, Frodo is challenged and he struggles throughout of how to do this. And so he has his best friend Sam along the way. And so we're going to watch a short clip of uh, Sam encouraging Frodo along the way. in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Some great cinematic work there. I have a former pastor that would say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. It gets me really fired up and ready just to go carpe diem, seize the day, save the world. But this is a great scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Uh, it's when Frodo is about to give up, and he just doesn't want to carry this burden anymore. And Sam's like, but you have to. We have to keep going. And there's so much goodness in this scene. There's so much goodness um, throughout this whole, these movies about you know, God's themes in our own lives. And Sam, this wasn't the only time Frodo wanted to give up, and it definitely wasn't the only time that Sam had to encourage him. But we also know that Jesus had his own struggles of wanting to give up. And John, in the, in the book of John, he doesn't visit the scene of Gethsemane where Jesus goes and prays for God the Father to take the cup from him. We don't see that in John. But what we see is a short allusion to it here in verse 27 when he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Now it takes us about five seconds to read that. And we would think this is probably just Jesus verbally processing, and it probably took him five seconds to say it. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think what we need to do during these next 46 days until Easter is live in this verse right here. Sit in it for about 15 minutes 
because I think that's probably how long it, it took Jesus to say it. Now my soul is troubled. For Jesus to say that, for Jesus to offer that humility, that vulnerability, meant he was really struggling. And I think at this time, he wanted the disciples to know he was struggling for what was about to happen. He wanted them to know when they saw it, when they experienced it, that he had real grief about going through with it. And though this is worded as a question, I don't think it was a question at all. I think he really wanted Father to save him from this hour. But then just as he did in the garden, as he was praying, he knew he knew that the whole reason he was where he was was for that very thing to happen in order for God's plan to be played out. Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer. All he had to do was make one different choice. All he had to do was make one choice along the way to turn back and even here in the scripture, we see Jesus wrestling with this great dichotomy, this, this challenge of this clash of his grief, but his need to obey the Father. The reality of his death colliding with the offering of life. He was troubled. He wanted to do one thing. He wanted to turn away. But his desire to obey the Father was stronger. And a tough question for all of us would be, is ours? It's a tough question. I know there's going to be a lot of days where I'm challenged with that question. Lent is a time to, of course, reflect on our mortality, our humanity, our sinful nature, to accept it, to name it, and to claim it. But Lent is also not a time to just stay there to dwell in it, to allow sin to consume us. Lent is a time to reflect on what we could be, but we aren't. Lent is a time to turn around, to turn away from our sinful nature that no longer defines who we are. Lent is a time to turn towards God. Lent is a time to accept that we can choose freedom and redemption because Jesus chose obedience. Now, I'm not sure what you've decided to fast from. Maybe you're not fasting from anything. Maybe it's not your thing. I want to nudge you to reevaluate that. But if you are fasting from something, and I say this because it's true for me or else I wouldn't challenge you, I hope it's challenging. I hope it's going to make you uncomfortable and it's going to make you step outside your comfort zone. It's day one, and I've already struggled with what I'm fasting from. And it could be something as simple as your favorite food, like pizza or candy or sugar or alcohol, whatever your vice may be. I don't know. But I hope it's something that brings you challenge these next 40 days. And I don't want us to just focus on what we're missing out on. Oh, I really miss out on this thing that I love so much that I've given up for Lent. How about we focus on what we're gaining? Maybe a clarity about who Jesus really is or a deeper understanding of true sacrifice that we choose or perhaps freedom from an addiction that we may not have even realized we had and hopefully a transformation through faithful obedience to God 
through dependence on Him, pure, unleashed, all in obedience. And when things get tough, when you're really wanting whatever it is that you feel like you're missing out on, remember, Jesus did give up chocolate. He didn't give up pizza. He didn't give up food or entertainment or social media. Jesus gave up his blood, his body, and his life. A.W. Tozer says, we have as much of God as we actually want. We have as much of God as we actually want. The Greeks, when they came to Philip, they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So I ask all of us tonight, do we want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? Honestly and vulnerably, understanding that God already knows the answer to that question. And if it's no, I encourage you to sit in it. Wonder why. What's holding you back? Where is your doubt coming from? And if you need someone to verbally process that with, Tom and me or Betsy or Stephen, we would all love to allow and create this space for you to do that, judgment-free, just in love, to talk about that. But if it's yes, I want you to ask this next question. Are you willing to hate the way life is lived in this world, selfishly, powerfully, ego-driven, and to love a life that is countercultural? One that's not at all about us, but of how our story fits into his story. What actions can we take every day to reflect that? How are we being obedient? Because in order to see Jesus, we have to follow him. And in order to follow him, we have to every single day make the decision to obey him. Let's pray. Father God, we... We come to you knowing that we have missed the mark. That in our humanity, in our mortality, God, we have failed you. But God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who through his great sacrifice, through his obedience to you, even when he was suffering unbearably until death, he has redeemed us through his blood and body. God, we know that freedom because of that, because of him and who he is. And we pray for his spirit. We pray for the spirit to be with us through this journey, that as we make these sacrifices, as we give up whatever it is that we have chosen to give up and fast, that you will fill us with the strength and the courage to keep doing that so that we can fill ourselves up with you, with your goodness and your joy and your grace and your mercy. God, we love you and we praise you and we lift these things to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.